It is Wednesday, my dudes, and that means it is time for another episode of the Codex Radio Podcast. As always, I am your host, Endless Odyssey. It is October 17th, 2018, and this is episode 41 and part 29 of our ongoing reading of Planescape Torment. So, you came back, even after the unpleasantness, let's say, uh, that occurred last week. Uh, boy, that was a rough one. It's going to be uh, difficult to try and recap it. Um, I encourage you to just go listen to the previous episode uh, if you somehow missed it, uh, or else this is going to be a confusing interlude for you. But uh, while recuperating from his stunt at the Civic Fest Hall, uh, the nameless one chose to spend some time catching up on bed rest. And uh, while he did that, he... Uh, reacquainted himself with the leather tome that we picked up uh, from Mantuak uh, after we defeated him while returning Soego's skull to Lothar, the Master of Bones, uh, in exchange for getting Mort returned to us. Seems like forever ago that that happened, but it turns out that the leather tome uh, is magical in nature and uh, seems to be sentient and eager to make a deal with whoever possesses it uh, in exchange for giving its quote-unquote master uh, access to some magical powers. Uh, It required a a number of sacrifices from the Nameless One uh, of ever-escalating severity, let's say, in order to access the, the secrets that it contained. Um, we started off with a, a mere drop of the Nameless One's blood, um, and then quickly, things just spiraled out of control. Uh, the Nameless One sold Dakon into slavery, uh, and then murdered Anna in cold blood, uh, all for a taste of the power that the, the book was offering. Though it seemed that the, the tome was meant to be a corrupting influence, once the tome had yielded all of the knowledge that it had to give, Uh, The Nameless One revealed that he was fully aware of the Tome's intentions and merely decided to be a dick because it suited him. We left off on a pretty dour note where the Nameless One burned the Tome after getting everything he could from it uh, while remembering the fates of his various companions, uh, most of whom had died or abandoned him for becoming a madman. So, uh... Seems like uh, we're in kind of a fucked up place right now. I, uh, I wonder how we'll get out of this one, he says with a knowing wink. But I have a feeling that things are going to turn around for us here. Uh, I now give you part 29 of Planescape Torment. Interlude. Stop! 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 exclaimed Apetrius. I can't stand this any longer. You're telling it all wrong. Well, I hate to tell you, lad, but that's how the story went. This eye doesn't lie, it doesn't, came Jeanette's reply. Absurd, Apetrius snaps sharply. How could an eye of all things be a record for anything? Blah, but you're not a particularly clever one, are you? 
Jeanette exclaims over the governor's sputtering. There are many myths about eyes, lad, about how they're the window to the soul, or how the retina records the images of the last moments of one's life. And considering how frequently the Nameless One has danced on both sides of the Great Vale, this eye is images aplenty, all laid over one another like slivers of glass. Asides, Jeanette grins. This one had been found on the astral, whipped by the winds of thought and currents of dream. In its immortality, it had taken on a life of its own, and drawn together and preserved ancient memories of the Nameless One before they evaporated into nothingness in the white void. At least, so's my theory. Audelin tests his newly healed shoulder, swinging it back and forth as he holds his lyre in the other hand. You'd think that without the strum of his music, the tale would have dulled, but Jeanette's bombastic ways are more than enough to fill up that void. The diva sets right an overturned seat, resting the lyre on one of his knees. How exactly did you come across this eye, then? Ah, but that's a story in and of itself, lad. She flicks the eye in the air like a coin, optic nerve wiggling and flailing as if it were a snake's tail. There we were on the Isles of Fading Thought, where memories go to die. A select few poor sods lose their way when they fall into the deep sleep and wander on the astral a while before reaching the outer planes. Those that are caught on the Isle are held by its morticians, a sorry lot, lanky and long-limbed like garden spiders. There they embalm these souls, rather than their bodies, and ornament them with ancient crystallized thoughts, the honey sweetness of a first kiss, an echo of springtime blooming throughout Elysium, and the perfumed scent of its wildflowers. And there upon its crests and cliffs the dead are buried in caskets of fading dreams. Well, what better place to plunder, I say? That night we traveled, the Jorindel, its sails swelled fat with the winds of memory, its keel buoyed by currents of lost and dying beliefs. We sailed along the lee of the isle, a small void where stray thoughts were few. We rode a little eddy of dying faith, not so little these days thanks to the efforts of the Athar, and found ourselves in a cove, populated only by fat worms that fed on the mental detritus of the plains. Disgusting things, really. Taste like jellied bilge water. When we disembarked, I took a party of twelve others with me. As I said, Baker's Dozen is fond luck. With my coterie behind me, I went and plundered the catacombs for ancient treasures. I was just examining a fat little sensation, must have been a thousand years old and the size of a robin's egg, of a poet's satisfaction at finally completing his masterwork after two decades of scouring the plains for the right words. T'was then that a squeak caught our attention, and this little jigger launched itself at us. She holds up the eye for emphasis. Thing yearned for a socket to bury itself in after being without a skull to call home for countless centuries, and it immediately started nudging itself at the forehead of my boat swain. Well, he shrieked like a banshee, he did, and dropped a pile of old joys and sorrows. The joys bounced, that was no matter, but the lamentations shattered against the floor like glass and heaved up this horrible cloud of elegies, and the stench of that awakened the morticians. They shuddered and rose, limbs snapping into place like bones set aright, and as my companions led a merry chase down the halls with arms laden with treasures, I stood in the rear, fending the monstrosities off one by one, my rapier slashing their limbs and carving my name across their night-black hides. Well, one stray shot from them took my eye, but t'was a fine price for the rousing battle they offered. I ran back, the blood and fluid spilling from my empty sockets like gelatinous tears. By the time I made it back to the Jorindel, the sails were ready and the anchor was hoisted, and all I needed was a rope ladder to make my escape. 
I swung from that brittle ladder among the silver void, breathing the must of the forgotten, dancing among the silver threads of memory, and laughing at fate itself. Ah, the freedom and wonder of being a pirate. A grand afternoon, to be sure, and by the time I climbed back in, lunch was ready. Stroganoff, if I recall. That is ridiculous. And you, girl, are just making up lies again. Factor Petrius growls, stabbing a pointed finger at Jeanette. The lizard, perched on his cap, flicks out a tongue, as if to taunt the girl. Nowhere in the libraries of Sigil, not among all the maps of the astral planes and the books of such, is this isle mentioned. Jeanette laughs, as if the answer were obvious, and bends over. Her hands are placed on her knees, and she smiles as she speaks in a soft, kind voice, as if addressing a child. Oh, good governor, my boy. Of course the name isn't mentioned in your books. The name itself has been forgotten and buried on the isle itself, and the fact you know nothing of it just proves me point, really. If and you really want to see the name, though, I keep it in a box in me hold. Apetrius's lips pull back in a growl, as if he were to say something else, but he merely rubs his temples and shakes his head in frustration. You raise an eye as a heavy plate clacks against the counter. Your dragon steak, medium rare, fairly dipping in a reddish gravy. The savory scent of it makes your mouth water, and the barmaid smiles as your coin clinks into her palm. Now, as for this one, Jeanette indicates the eye, which has now perched on her shoulder like a fawning parrot. We didn't realize it at first, but it had hitched a ride on the Jorindel, squirreling away in the holds and suddenly shy for some reason. We laid out traps for a month and tried luring it out with a mash of honey and shavings of star-crossed love, but in the end I was able to coax the thing out with a slice of slow agony harvest from an Inquisitor's scalpels. Thing seems to find itself bound to pain, as the Nameless One himself once was. Jeanette sighs before continuing. I tried giving it a wee home in me own skull once. Now I tell you, it hurts like a trip through the Nine Hells and isn't half as friendly, but past the headaches, it fed me plenty of flashes of memory for me to piece together what happened to the Nameless One. But since you be so inclined to hear the story right, I reckon I'll just have to start over again, eh? Now, where was I? Jeanette took a deep swig of ale and recomposed herself. Ah, yes. Anna had just left the fest hall to catch a breath of night air. Chapter 69 Anna padded silently across the tiled floor, her soft boots not making a sound as she ghosted from shadow to shadow. Whatever sound her footsteps made would have been drowned out by Mort's snores, and if her moonwhite flesh shone in the dim light, Ignis's roaring flames would have caught the eye more readily from his resting spot on the balcony. Hey. Sst, she hissed, snapping her head to me. What are you doing up and about? You been watching me? I shifted my weight, stepping out from the shadow of the pillar. I've been feeling restless, too. She just stood there, her tail flicking, arms crossed in front of her. That moment, by the dim light of Ignis burning through the window, she looked statuesque. There was a mute tranquility about her, and she stared at me like a stone. It's a clear night out, I said. Wanna take a walk? The air was still and crisp quiet as the grave. It was only the occasional lighted window and the rare clank of harmonium boots that gave any sign that the ward was still inhabited. Even then, as the night wore on, the lights flickered and winked out. The sound of the harmonium patrols grew more distant. Silence was king then, and no one would disturb us in our prowling. 
Anna's tail swayed as she padded quietly down the street next to me, and I strained to keep my movements straight and smooth so that my sash of bone wouldn't clatter or the beads in my hair clink. Sanctity hung in silence, and I didn't want to spoil the moment with my clumsiness. Anna tucked her hands into the crook of her arms, as if unsure what to do with them. Tonight would have been a night for the cunning ways of picking locks and jimmying doors, pawning through the jewels and gold of the nobles of Sigil. True, the harmonium would have made things difficult, but there was no harm in casing a joint. If she were alone, that is. Anna, can you train me in thieving skills? Eh? She frowned. It wasn't a question she would have expected. What are you on about? I'd like to shelve the art for a while and try my hand at stealthier pursuits. She looked me up and down once and then looked at me with a queer expression. Are you serious? I nodded. Can you teach me? She looked skeptical, then rolled her eyes. Aye, I can. But to do it, you'll need to shut your trap and listen to me, and follow my lead, Jig. She circled me, tail flicking under the pale light of a window a floor above us as she examined my posture. The first thing you need to do is change your stance. None of that loin jutting and leading with your stem that you seem to favor. All right. Anna put me through the paces. At the end of a short while, she took a step back and nodded, impressed. Aye, you've got the hang of it. Quick to catch on, yar. Of course, that's only the beginning. There are four skills any good cut purse needs to know. Stealth, lockpicking, pickpocketing, and finding traps, right? She nodded. Aye. You got the basics down, I'll give you that. We can begin with vanishing from sight. Tis me speciality. Her lip curled into a crooked grin. I gathered. Hey, well, the trick to not being seen is knowing where you are and how quick you can become part of where you are. There are some tricks I've learned. One is to hide in a place where someone's not expecting to look, like on the ceiling of a room, or even change your hiding place when they're looking for you. She smiled wickedly. There was one time I was hiding from this brace of hardheads, the law, and what I did was... We went through the motions as she told her tales, ducking behind shadows of old pillars, pausing between one to dash to another. We even put it to the test, prowling quietly from shadow to shadow as the harmonium passed by, their clanking armor distraction enough from any soft-shoed padding about we would have made. Anna continued as we leaned against the wall of the civic fest hall. The stone was strangely warm against my back, even as the still night air pecked at my skin with cold. And so, there the hardhead was, face down in a ditch, his breeches gone, and the rest of his three fellows locked in great grandmam's room, with her howling to the skies. Anna takes a breath. And there you are. If you can put the same thing to good use, it might help your hide when you really need to. So, let's see. Be sure to fall back to places you know well. Preferably in surrounding where there are other distractions, and if there aren't any, make some. She nodded. Aye, that's the dark of it. Now, on to lockpicking. Picking locks, well, I can tell you what not to do. First is, be sure you carry a little oil or something else to wet the tip of your lockpick in case the lock's stubborn. One thing I learned from old Stuttercrutch Farad, no less, is many of the locks in Sigil are actually patterned by this one locksmith from a Stone's Age ago, and they have this common catch. There were no locks about, but the lecture was just as informative as the last. I soaked up her stories, chuckled at her jokes. Her shoulders relaxed then, and she was less stingy with her smiles and laughs. She really was pretty when she laughed.
So it was getting near peak, and with the first fingers of dawn creeping in, and I knew they'd be searching the attics for me. But the attic lock was sigil-born, so I knew how to jam the catch so they couldn't force it, and it bought me enough time to scamper away across the roof with the silver it did. So, that lock tumbler type is the one on which a lot of locks are based. That should help if I ever need to pick a similar lock, then. Aye, but if there be a trap there, you need to know what to do. Now, that's an easy one to give the known on. The most important thing is that someone had to set the trap, and that they know about it once they've set it. So be sure to look for signs of it when you're walking somewhere where someone keeps their valuables. There was one time where I was entering the Grand Dements in the Clerk's Ward, and... She was proud of her craft, and so skilled in putting the art of thievery into words that she must have lain awake many a night with a smile on her lips and the satisfaction of a job well done comforting her through her life in the hive. She was the essence of freedom. And the fact the carpet was new around the floor of the cabinet told me he'd fitted it recently. So I pried it up with me dags, and dead sure there were acid stains on the stones beneath. So I know to look for an acid blossom when I popped the cabinet and nicked these coppers. So, when looking to find and disarm traps, not only look for signs that they've been set, but also look for signs of what someone would have had to do to avoid them once they've been set. She nodded. Aye, you've got it now. Do you have any advice on how to pick someone's pocket? Well, nicking someone's purse isn't as hard as you would think, Anna shrugged. It's mostly a matter of doing it quick and gentle-like so they don't feel their purse is getting lighter. If you're having a hard time of it, it may be in the way you're doing it. She nodded at me. Show me. I looked around. It's rather late, and no one's about except the harmonium. Besides, I don't want to pick someone's pockets just randomly with you watching. Nay, try and nick some jink from me, and I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. It was a much more patient response than I expected for such a thick question. All right. Uh, where do you keep it? That's what you have to find out if you want to be a true-blooded thief. My tongue suddenly felt thick, and a touch of warmth flooded to my cheeks. All right, uh, let me try and pickpocket you for it. As soon as I made a move toward her, Anna held up her hand. All right, stop. You've already messed up, you have. What? You have to watch your approach, you do. You can't just muscle your way up to your mark, especially when you look like you do. Anna suddenly put her hands on her hips and turned to look off to my side as if disinterested. You got to act like the mark is nothing to you. Less than nothing. You don't care what he's got at all. Alright, so act like I don't care. My fingers twitched as if my nerves were failing me, but I posed as she directed. What then? Then you've got to make sure you strike at the right time. I usually do it when I move by someone. You should do it right after you move by someone, because they'll probably be too frightened to turn around and see where you went. As she completed her lesson, trickles of memory flowed back. Sometimes her words became a muted buzz. Other times, what she told me seemed to echo with haunting familiarity. I've done this before. I was sure of it. So dress down a little, maybe try not to look so threatening, and you might catch your mark off his guard, or off his gourd if he's been hitting the bub. Alright, so try to act non-threatening, relaxed, like the target means nothing to you. Then strike when you're just out of his sight. Aye, that's the dark of it. Now what? Well, I thought I might be able to teach you some things. What? Are you serious? She raised an eyebrow. You teach me? You're a quick learner, I'd say, but you're still a bit green to be teaching me anything. I shrugged. I thought I could give you some pointers. Aye? She smirked, not quite believing. Like what? Well, I think your tail gives you away a lot more than you realize. 
I've noticed you twitch it when you're being watched or nervous. It's enough so someone looking in the shadows for you might notice. And another thing. When I was done giving her notes, I shared all I knew about lockpicking. You're using the wrong lockpicks when you try and pick locks. The set you have could use some more, like one with a Y-tip and another with... After that, we spoke of my know-how of trap disarming. Not only should you look for signs traps have been placed, but there's other signs you can tell as well, from sulfur in the air to changes in temperature to... At the end of my instruction, Anna nodded quietly. I? I hadn't thought of those things I hadn't. She frowned. I would have figured it out eventually, so don't think you're just some fist-hole teacher or anything. Just trying to help. Anna scowled, turning away. Her voice came out in a low, sharp hiss. More like you're trying to make me look like a fool, yard. I blinked. What in the hells are you talking about? Here you come, striding into Ferret's court, and him all a-bowing and curtsying to you, playing the bootlick, and then he orders me to go with you, which he's never done, and you start putting on airs about how you know more than me. What gives you the right? She snarled, baring her fangs. Who do you think you are? The woman truly was a coiled viper, calm one moment, snapping and hissing the next. I never knew around Anna if my next word would earn me a smile or a stab, but for some reason I had never asked her to leave. I was beginning to wonder exactly why I had asked to go out with her in the first place. I'm just trying to help you, Anna. Oh, I. Are you sure that every time I nick something from someone's purse or spring a lock, you aren't just shaking your head behind your back going, clumsy, stupid girl, don't know how it's done? Make you feel better about yourself, does it? Anna, I only showed you those things to make you even better than you already are. I wasn't lording it over you. I don't think you're clumsy, and I don't think you're stupid. Anna frowned, her tail flicking back and forth as if she still wasn't quite convinced. Aye, well, you best be careful. I don't take kindly to pity, I don't. Let's try pickpocketing now, I sighed. She seemed calm enough now. If the girl needed to, she could shed anger like a snake sheds its skin. When you try and pick someone's pockets, you should use your body to better effect. It shouldn't be too hard for you to distract a mark from his belongings. Eh? Anna blinked. Are you saying I should play the harlot? I looked her up and down, arching an eyebrow. Well, why else are you wearing that thing? I thought that was your whole plan. Anna followed my gaze, looking down at her outfit, then back up to me. I just get hot, I do. It's my blood, I think. This vest lets my skin breathe. Well, if you add a few more slashes to the front of that, your marks aren't going to care if you're picking their pocket or not. Now, watch my hands. When you're about to cut their purse, you need... As I reached out to show Anna, she stiffened. What now? I cannot help it! It's your fault! Anna squeezed her eyes closed. You shouldn't have said anything about the vest. Now I'm all thinking about it, I am. Look me in the eye. Just calm down. Anna's gaze locked with mine. She was still stiff, and her fangs were exposed, biting her lower lip. Look, I'll show you quick, and we'll be done with this. I leaned in, and as I did, Anna suddenly pushed herself into me, and her hands wrapped around my back. She held me gently for a moment, then squeezed tightly, her light limbs firm yet supple, like willow branches. She sniffed slightly around my neck and then up along my cheekbone. Her breath tickled my skin. I... I like the way you smell, I do. Anna's brogue was a little softer then, like that sharp tiefling edge was muted and her voice was low like a whisper. She then rubbed her cheek against mine. 
Her skin was smooth as milk, and her rust-red hair grazed the tip of my nose. It still smelled smoky and sharp, but there was a softness to it, something feminine despite the steel edge to her. Your skin's like leather it is. Are you wearing perfume? Anna paused, smiling into my ear. Just a dab from an old vendor, she murmured. Guess it still lingers, it does. Her fingertips trailed along my back, nails gently grazing my scars and sending electric jolts of sensation wherever they found a rough lump along that puckered, twisted flesh. She was right, though. I could feel the fiend blood in her, pulsing like liquid fire in her veins, flooding the heat throughout her entire body. It came through that slit in her vest and radiated from her bare skin in waves. Powers above, she was warm and soft. So soft. I reached down just in time to grab Anna's tail, then slowly unwound it from my pack. Anna stepped back, and the sudden rush of cold air left me chill, but I doubted the shiver was from that. She gave a grin. Is that what you meant? Nicking a purse off a mark like that, eh? Dead easy it is. Yeah. My voice creaked like that of the lad on the cusp of adolescence. I, uh... I deepened back into that coarse rumble. I think you've got the hang of it. Suddenly, something changed. A cold wind whipped up from the street, carrying an unnatural chill that seeped deep into my bones. Whispers of sins long forgotten ate at my soul in little nibbles like ants pecking at a still-living animal, beginning to strip away the skin. Then it kicked in, that primal reptilian core of my brain that shrieked for every cell of my being to... What is it? Run, I whispered hoarsely. Anna blinked, clutching her bare arms. Her eyes flicked back and forth. What are you on the boat? Run, I screamed, drawing my dagger. They rose from the corners of the ward, tendrils snaking out from the hidden depths of the night. The first slash slit me across my back, and even after the talon left my skin, I could feel the wound cutting deeper. The cut was fueled by vengeance. The midnight claws had been honed with hate. I didn't need to repeat myself a third time. I had been chased by thugs, pursued by angry rats, mauled by the undead. But there was always the padding of footsteps or pitch squeaks. There was always the sound of clattering bones or mindless groans echoing through the halls. Somehow, the silence of the shadows were more terrifying. Arcane missiles sizzled the air as I shot them behind me, bursting in pops of gray-black mist as they struck. I wasn't even sure if I wounded them or not. And then the tendrils wrapped around my throat and squeezed. I shouldn't have been afraid. I had endured whatever the planes threw at me so far, after all, yet the shadows were a sign of something deeper, more primal. In the back of my mind, I knew they were relentless hunters, Impossible to hide from, massive in their swarms. They were relentless in their hatred, as if tearing at sins unpunished. I could feel my strength leaving me in a trickle, as if those tendrils were drinking the warmth from my body. Those claws speared into me again and again, in a rain of pitch-black fury. The shadows had no voice to scream with, no tongue to curse me, so it clawed and speared as if it could never cause me enough pain. The tendril stretched, then snapped with the sound of a blade slashing through the wind. Anna. I was still weak, but whatever held me dissolved into mist. 
Shaking as I stood, I watched as Anna slashed at the mist, trying to pull away from the ebon claws. Each touch sapped her of strength as it did to me. I acted fast. Pulling axioms and spells as fast as I could, I blew holes into the shadows, tore them apart in eldritch fury. One by one, they were torn asunder, vanishing into mist and leaving a dark, ghostly stain where they fell. The dying keens of the monsters sent shudders through me, as if with each kill I had brushed death incarnate. Once many shadows dwelled among us, Hargrim had said, but they come to our halls no more. They left long ago, and we know not where they went. Some say they wander the plains. Mary says that she has seen their fate in visions. She claims they have all been drawn to a wrecked fortress that drifts within the negative material plane, a graveyard of regrets from where they cannot escape. When the last shadow fell, the chill in the air was gone, and my wounds began to knit. The cuts were so sharp that they were almost painless, but they spread a cold sensation through my flesh that receded with aching slowness. <sighs> it's done, Anna. Let's get back to the fest hall. Grace can heal our wounds there. Only silence greeted me. Chapter 70 The warmth of Anna's body was pooling around my boots. I'd seen and felt many ways to die being impaled on blades, acid billowing into your lungs and gnawing your face to the bone. There were bodies peppered with magic missiles, flesh blasted to bone with arcane fury. I couldn't look this time. You'd think I'd never seen a girl gutted before. Please, no! The ground was sticky beneath my heels. Dianara had died because she had followed me. Aeolin was forced to drive me to my death, heartbroken, and with regret etched into her soul. And now, Anna. Love isn't for creatures like me. It's the domain of mortals, where passions have the luxury of flaring and cooling with age, where old sorrows can be smoothed over and buried. For immortals, old regrets live on with perpetual breath, just past the corner of my vision and squirreled away in the shadows. They accrue like a bad debt, unacknowledged and unpaid. Eventually, those old ghosts are always going to catch up. I thought then of what Dianara had said, about the spark of life and death being within my hand. And then I suddenly remembered how to coax the dimmest spark of life from a body and bring it forth. The thought both horrified and intrigued me. I could feel it, the barrier between this world and the next, soft and thin like an oil slick floating on the surface of a pond. I didn't want to get closer to the body, but I had to search, probing for an edge along that smooth wall. I followed the ripples of Anna's death, listened for an echo in the silence. Conscious goals rarely fuel exploration. At first it was morbid curiosity, and then it was intent. First one wave, then another, weakening as they passed. And there, my fingers felt it, a hole in that soft barrier, like the space left by a popped bubble. It yielded when I pushed, wrapped my probing finger like cold jelly. There was a nothingness to what lay on the other side, a forgotten name, a lost shoe. It was the void between dream and consciousness, the mindless gulf that seemed so familiar and yet so foreign, like the lands beyond the boundary of an uncrossed river. 
The portal was closing fast. I called her soul back from the silent shore, pulled it from the Isle of Whispers where the unborn sing their lamentations. There was a snapping sound as the portal squeezed shut, as if I had pulled something from the jaws of a predator, and with it in hand I quickly wove Anna's essence back into her body, willed spirit and flesh to join again. I let out a pitched yelp and jumped back at the first spasms. Anna coughed, her eyes snapping wide open. She shivered, pale and moaning as if she were in the grips of a fever. The wound was gone, but the blood still stained her belly and carpeted the ground. Don't talk, I said quickly, bending over to pick her up. She trembled in my arms, and her blood was cold and damp against my skin. The air smelled like salt and iron and the rawness of lacerated flesh. Let's get you to Grace. A few sensates still milled around the halls at this hour, and music and sweet scents drawn from every plane still haunted the halls. It wouldn't do for any festivity or experience to pause in the Civic Fest Hall, but even when I carried Anna in, most of the faction members didn't give me a second glance. When you trade in experiences of the most exotic, depraved, and sensuous kinds, few things could faze you. What has happened? Dakon said, his voice sharp as steel. Shadows, I growled. What is the city coming to if shadows can haunt the streets and take us as prey? I will take her, Dakon said, his voice almost insistent, but I pulled away when he held out his hands. I have to talk to Grace alone. Dakon was a good ally, fierce and loyal and true to his word, but Grace was the only one I trusted at the moment especially when I saw Mort just floating there, suddenly and inexplicably silent. Kaji Zenkai, Grace murmured softly, her hands glowing with pale warmth as she prayed. Anna's breathing became smoother as the healing trickled into her veins, but she still remained silent. At best, she probably thought she had been knocked out or wounded terribly. I certainly wasn't going to tell her that I had quite literally snatched her from the jaws of death. I see your impatience, Grace said to me softly as she healed. Is there something you would ask of me? I need to talk to you. About Mort. Grace dipped her hands into the bowl of warm water, wringing out a fresh cloth. It was stained pink with blood, but it was still good enough to wipe away more of the mess. The sensates had been punctual. Unasked, they brought more hot water and some food to our rooms. Mort is most peculiar. I have seen a great deal in my life, but nothing quite like him. Granted, there's no denying he is knowledgeable, but he has a certain... She sniffed the air and wrinkled her nose. Beethorian smell about him. A muscle in my cheek twitched. Beethorian smell? Yes, but he's not a Betezu, at least of any variety I've encountered. The smell alone, however, makes me treat the skull with caution. What's eating you, chief? Can you read to me what's tattooed on my back again? Ah, come on, chief. Don't tell me you forgot again. I just need to refresh my memory. Bet I'm gonna be hearing that a lot. Mort cleared his throat. Let's see. I know you feel like you've been drinking a few kegs of stick wash, but you need to center yourself. Among your possessions is a journal that'll shed some light on the dark of the matter. Farid can fill you in on the rest of the chant if he's not in the dead book already. Keep going. 
I will, I will. Hold on. Mort paused for a moment. All right, here's the last bit. Don't lose the journal or we'll be up the sticks again. And whatever you do, do not tell anyone who you are or what happens to you, or they'll put you on a quick pilgrimage to the crematorium. Do what I tell you. Read the journal, then find Farid. Go on. What does it say after that? If Mort had eyelids, he would have blinked. What are you talking about, Chief? There isn't any more. The anger rose in my voice. What about don't trust the skull? Oh, that bit at the end? Well, I figured it was wash, so I didn't read that line out loud. Oh, really? And what do you think it means? Do you think it refers to you? I doubt it. I mean, you can trust me. Right, Chief? Are you lying to me, Mort? No. Come on, what's your problem, Chief? I haven't steered you wrong yet. Yet? I don't like the fact that you didn't read me that line, and I'd like to know what else you've neglected to mention since we've been traveling together. Nothing. I've told you everything. Well, almost everything, but nothing, you know, dangerous. Well, if there's anything else, I suggest you tell me now. Chief, seriously, there's nothing else. I wouldn't hold out on you. You said you're a mimmer, right, Mort? Yeah, a mimmer's a floating encyclopedia. You put information in, you get information out. But aren't mimmers made of a silvery metal? So? Maybe some are, but I'm not. And there's stranger things on the plains than that, Chief. I don't think you're a mimmer, Mort. What are you? He edged away just a bit, cocked to the side suspiciously. What's with the interrogation? What do you know about mimmers anyway? I know enough to think that you're lying to me. First, that bit about the missing line from my back saying not to trust you, then this. What am I supposed to think? Okay, I'm not a mimmer, but I know a lot of stuff, so I might as well be one. What are you, then? I'm a floating skull who knows a lot. A low roar built deep from my belly. Mort was feeding me scraps one by one and making me struggle for each. I might as well just have been pulling teeth. What about the Beethorian smell you have? His eyes seemed to pop out of their sockets. What would you know about what Bator smells like? Unless, hey, you've been talking about me with the Tanari, haven't you? What does she know? Well, she obviously touched on something. That is a Beethorian smell, right? Well, yeah, so I smell a little. Excuse me. Why do you smell like Bator? He bobbed in a shrug. I don't know. Must have caught it from one of those fiends we crossed paths with all the damn time. What about the shadows? That did it. The blank stare paved the way for the pregnant silence between us, as if it swelled with the question, what does he know about the shadows? That both of us were wondering. A pink tongue flicked out to lick at absent lips, and when Mort spoke again, it was as casual as could be. I was almost fooled. What? You gonna ask me about reflections next? My voice deepened into a low, dangerous growl. Spill it, Mort. I know you've been hiding more than you let on. Chief, I seriously don't know- My hand caught him in the air, clutching the curve of his temporal bone. With one hard shove, I smashed him against the wall with a crack, the sickening hollow sound of bone striking against rock. Chief! His jaw worked, and his eyes darted back and forth in terror. A few of the sensates looked up from their seats momentarily, but seemed neither interested nor concerned. Anna died tonight because you hid something from me, I hissed. Because you have some hidden agenda. Now tell me, what do you have to do with Bador? All right, I'll tell you. Just let me go. 
I released him, and he shook a bit as he righted himself, grumbling. For a moment I held ready in case he tried to bolt, but to my surprise the words seemed to spill out of him, each one easier to come than the last. I was in the hells for a while. Kind of a long while. The stench kind of grows on you. You were in the hells? What were you doing there? See, well, there's this pillar on Avernus, the first layer of Bador. It's called the Pillar of Skulls, but... It's more like the Pillar of Heads. His eyes took on a distant look, as if he were seeing something from long ago, a thousand miles away, in several realms apart from ours. To hear some bashers tell it, it's supposedly made of the heads of Burks, mostly sages and scholars who used their knowing of this and knowing of that when they were alive to stretch the truth a little, so much that they might have hurt or uh, killed someone by doing it. Well, when I died, I ended up there. Funny, huh? Not really. Eh. Mort fell silent for a moment. He didn't even give a mirthless chuckle. Yeah, you're right. It's not funny at all. You see, I think I knew a lot of things when I was alive. And maybe when I did know something, I didn't always tell the truth about it. I'm thinking that when I bent the truth once or twice, I, I may have led to someone getting penned in the dead book sooner than they should have. It was me, wasn't it? Mort looked at me for a moment, and... With the way the silence stretched, I thought it might snap. Yeah. I can't say how I know it, Chief, but I think so. I think you were the one that got me sent there, the last twig in the bundle before the whole load snaps. Thing is, I can't remember what happened. I don't even remember being human or what my life was like before I woke up on the pillar. Why did you forget? That's pretty much the way of things when you die, as, as I'm sure you're no stranger to. You just forget. I figure I wasn't a sterling member of the community when I was alive, but hells, who is? Mort sighed. It's just that I can't help it. Nothing's worse than being honest all the time. Except being sentenced to the hells. That sounds a lot worse than telling the truth. Yeah, you're right. Mort clicked his teeth. The way he did it reminded me of someone drumming their fingers. I guess just all that good and evil and lying and cheating catches up with you. And when I got penned in the dead book, it was my turn to pay the ferryman. So, how did you escape the pillar? Well, you helped me, Chief. When you showed up at the Pillar of Skulls, I pushed my way to the front. My obvious know-how and charm attracted your attention. You knew that I was the head that knew the most, so I cut a deal with you. Deal? As Mort spoke, my vision bled into a fiery red, and there came a howling. A horrible screaming tower of voices, chittering, screeching, hammering, all of them begging, screaming to be freed. And Mort's voice, faint, almost overwhelmed in the horde, he sounded desperate, frightened, and pathetically, tragically lost. You, Skull, speak. The howling voices fall silent, and the tiny red-lined skull... Its cracked features, cast in a hellish light, turns its eyes up at me. Blood and eker has streamed across its features, and its teeth chatter as if cold. I... I can help you. I, I know what you seek. All, all these heads, all they're knowing. Just please, I beg you, free me. Let me help you. I'll tell you anything. Everything. My lips curl into a sneer. I had come a long way for answers and I would not have all the lives lost and resources squandered because I'd been cheated by Baetorian trickery. Will you swear it, Skull? 
swear you will serve me until my end days, or here you will remain. I swear, I swear, just please, free me. He mules, swallows sickeningly, his pride almost a tangible thing. I beg you, let me help you, please. Very well. I nodded, and some vestigial feeling of mercy flickered, a dying ember of warmth in my chest. I shall free you. My vision slid as if I were moving, and the howling, screaming cacophony began again. A nightmarish horde of howls and catcalls and taunts and insults. My hands slide into the filthy quagmire of the pillar, sinking deep into the biting of fangs and mandibles. They gnash at my flesh, tear at my scarred skin in fury, as my fingers curl around the tiny skull, locking into place. I pulled, ripping it from its base like a thick-rooted weed, tearing it from the pillar like an old scab. It is done! I declared. The bloody skull lay in my scarred hands, its eyes covered in ichor from the pillar, and its teeth chatter, once, then twice. It is reminiscent of a wailing newborn, helpless, naked, pathetic. I have freed you. Now your life and your death are mine, Mort. My vision swirled and the mists of the past drifted away, and Mort was still chattering on, casual as can be. We talked for a while, Chief, you and me, seeing whether the arrangement would work, and I think we both were really impressed with each other, so you invited me off the pillar and I've kind of been with you ever since. Uh, what happened then? Well, I didn't know I'd lose most of the pillar's knowledge once I was out of it. I mean, how was I to know? I'd never been off the damn thing. But you were pretty understanding about it. I blinked. You lost all the knowledge you said you had? My vision swirled again, ripping me from the present in a surge of old memories. It made me dizzy, and my gut churned. There is the crack and snap of bone, the thrum of the blows as they reverberate through my hands. My fingers bleed with the fury of the strikes, joints loosening down to the knuckle, but I'm too angry to give a damn. Mort howls, howling in pain, screaming for someone to stop, to stop killing him, and my hand lashing out. Again, and again, and again. Damn you, Skull. You lied to me. I'll thrust you back in that damnable pillar and leave you to die there. There's the clatter of bone against what sounds like metal. A floor, or a wall. And the skittering of teeth knocked free. Mort, conscious or not, had slipped free from my grip. I looked down to my hand, his mandible torn free and still clutched by my fingers. Stray bits of bone litter the ground. There he lies in the middle of all this mess, a long crack branching out along the side, bone indented and 
one eye loose from its socket. There was no blood. Indeed, Mort had none to shed. And somehow, that made me angrier. Instead, he lay there, begging wordlessly, mewling like a beaten dog for me to stop. Know that your suffering on the pillar will be nothing to the torment that I will make you suffer. My vision swirled and Mort's cries ebbed, fading into his chattering rhythm. So you realized I still had my uses, so I took up with you and I've been with you ever since. He had no reaction as I leaned against a wall, head spinning, trying to swallow the bile that was boiling up to the back of my throat. I managed to swallow, hard, though it would have been much easier with a drink of water. Mort, what did I want from the pillar? And how long ago was it that I freed you? Mort thought for a moment. Well, as for how long, I don't know the exact count, Chief. Ages, I suppose. I've done all I could to help you each time, but... He sighed. It's not easy. And as for what you wanted at the pillar, I don't know. Once you pried me off, I couldn't remember. Mort, why didn't you say something when we were at the mortuary? Mort suddenly stiffened in the air defensively. Because I never know who you're going to be. Some of your incarnations have been stark raving mad. One time you awoke obsessed with the idea that I was your skull, and you chased me around the spire trying to shatter and devour me. Luckily, you were crushed by a passing cart in the street. Another one of you, good and lawful, you tried to thrust me back into the pillar because it's where I belonged. Mort smirked. That's why. Besides, no harm's ever come out of you not knowing. So, you've stayed with me all this time? Well, yeah, Chief. I said I would. Mort always keeps his promises. He paused. Well, most of them. <laughs> there was this one chit on Arborea who... Mort's tone had changed. Past the joke, I knew he was trying to hide something. Something about why he was with me. Mort, seriously... Why are you still traveling with me? Chief, I said it's because I promised, all right? He looks irritated. What else could it be? I don't know. You didn't need to stick around after I freed you. Well, of course not, Chief, but I... And suddenly his tone of voice struck a chord in me, and I knew that's why he remained with me all this time. You feel guilty, because you led me to my death so long ago, isn't it? And you've been suffering ever since. He chuckled, eyes rolling a little, even as they looked off to the side. Ah, come on, Chief. Me? Feel guilty? I'm Mort. I shook my head. No, I, I think that's it. When I came to free you from the fate you deserved, you couldn't help but try and help me. And when you could have left after I freed you, you remained. Because you felt indebted. Mort was silent for a moment, looking at me. Maybe. You know what's funny? At first, I don't know what the feeling was. It kind of slowly eats at you, you know? I mean, at first I thought it was a side effect of some enchantment that bound me to you, but after a couple hundred years, I realized it was more than that. Something deeper. I just felt drawn, connected to you somehow. Maybe it's all your suffering, Chief. Your torment. I don't know. Maybe I felt... I don't know. Responsible for whatever it is I did. What if something I did brought you to this state? His tone became more awkward as he, for once, thought before speaking, mulling over his words and thoughts. 
Thing is, I don't think me, or whoever I was, really ever had to see the consequences of all the lying and cheating I'd done. And when I saw you for the first time, when I was trapped on the pillar, somehow I knew you were the one I'd betrayed. Once. Long ago. Mort sighed. And that's all I know. I see. Thanks for coming clean, Mort. Nah, don't thank me. Mort bobbed in the air, and to my surprise, his voice seemed stronger somehow. More confident. He had shed old regrets and hidden secrets one by one like Autumn Leaves, and now some of the cracks and fractures in his skull had vanished, as if healed. Nah, the thanks is all to you. I feel like I just had a plane moved off my shoulders, so to speak. Any day, Mort. Now look, uh, I've gotta go do some stuff. He nodded, but didn't object. It was as good a place as any to wrap up the man-to-skull chat. As for me... I spent the next 15 minutes hacking up my last meal in an alley. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Codex Radio. Pretty good one, I thought. Did it make up for last week's bamboozle? <laughs> Sorry about that, but, uh, you know, I'm a slave to the text, so it really wasn't my fault that <laughs> things ended up like that. Um, I don't know if there'll be any more bait and switches like that in the future but uh at least now we know it's a possibility so we can stay a little more on guard uh in any case before i let you go this week i do want to remind you to send us your feedback about the show you can tweet at me i'm at endless underscore odyssey on twitter or you can tweet at the show's account which is at codex underscore radio um check out our website which is codexrad.io uh, and if you have any emails, you can send those to the show at codexpodcast at myriadtrues.com. Uh, please check out our Patreon page as well, which is patreon.com slash myriadtrues. There's a link to it on the show's website. Uh, and if you're interested, you can support the show on a monthly basis and get access to some cool side stuff. Um, that's all I've got for you this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday.